Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. I'm going to look at three things this morning, and number one is this, love does not discriminate. Love does not discriminate. You see that in verses one through four. E. Stanley Jones was a famous missionary to India. And he tells this story. He said when he was a a young spiritual searcher named Mahatma Gandhi tried to hear the missionary C.F. Andrews. But Gandhi was not allowed in the meeting because of his brown color. And soon afterwards, he rejected Christianity and led over four million Hindus. E. Stanley said this, racialism, bigotry, has many sins to bear, but perhaps is the worst sin when the obscuring of Christ in an hour when one of the greatest souls born of woman was making his decision. Was making his decision. What James is beginning to write in verses one is that discrimination is not a fruit of faith. Discrimination is not. Look at verse one. It says, my brethren... Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Let me read the New Living Translations. My brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Who is he writing to? He says to the brethren. He's writing to the church, the first century church, to those who called upon the name of Jesus. He's writing that, so he's beginning to address the church. And I think the first thing we have to begin to just address, and that's why I'm writing these things, because I want to address the church. James is saying that faith and discrimination, they don't go hand in hand. He's speaking to, to the church. See, faith, faith wasn't a problem here. Favoritism was. Partiality was. You know, we have to be careful of partiality. We could even in our own families have partialities. You might have several kids in your family. You might think, well, I like this one more than this one. (laughs) Isn't that what Jacob did with Joseph in the book of Genesis? The one who got a beautiful coat and his dad favored him and it brought all hell in the family that eventually ended him up in prison, but what God meant for evil, God turned for good. Be careful of even starting partiality in our own families, then bring that into the household of God and how divisive that could be in fact, the Greek translation of the word partiality in, in verse 1 it means to, to elevate or to exalt someone strictly on superficial external basis, such on appearance, race, wealth, rank, or social status. I think to set up chapter 2, you have to go back to chapter 1. At the latter part of chapter 1, we know this verse in chapter 1, James 1, 27, where God said, Undefiled religion is just take care of the widows and the orphans. We're familiar with that. But that verse ends with this. He warns, he gives a warning to, to keep us ourselves unspotted from the world. We forget to add that on the latter part of that verse, to be unspotted. Don't, don't be corrupted by the world. Don't be corrupted by your own biases. Don't, don't discriminate. What do, we need to discriminate? what do we need to discriminate against is evil, is sin right? Romans says we are to despise and hate evil. Paul writes that. 
I can only imagine as, G, as James is writing this book that he's been influenced by his brother because James is the half-brother of Jesus. And he's been influenced probably by his brother because it talks about the glory of the Lord in that verse one, right? We know that Jesus didn't show, Jesus shows impartiality, right? He ministered to Nicodemus as much as he ministered to the marginalized, the non-elite. Though he was accused of, of hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes and the low life and the outcasts, he was blasted for that. He served all people. He didn't show partiality because for there's no partiality with God, Romans 2.11 and, and 10.34. But as James begins to write out in his, his thoughts here, in verses two and three, what does he do? He begins to illustrate right discrimination as it relates to favoritism in two and three. Discrimination illustrated as favoritism. Let me read it. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings, fine apparel, there shall also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you sit there or say, sit here at my footstool. You're dealing with two types of people in this illustration, a rich and the poor, and how we treat them. Discrimination here was coming by appearance, how one looked over the, the other. When, you come, when he says, when he came into the assembly, he came into the synagogue or the temple or the church. When he came in, there was, a, there was some discrimination that was taking place there. Now, let me give you some context here because a lot of people can read my word discrimination in a very wrong context. The discrimination that James is speaking about here is not about biblical morals, the right wrongs, but about appearance. But about appearance here. They, they looked at the rich man one way, and they looked at the poor man differently. They looked at the rich man wearing his jewelry and, and, and kind of, he's flashy stuff, right? He has this status. He, he, he came in wearing the bling, the bling bling and the rings, and he had the, the tricked out clothing and the fine apparel, right? I find it very interesting. It was about appearance. In fact, for to wear a ring meant you had some status. But in fact, in those days, there actually were businesses that would rent out rings, and some people used to go rent rings out to put on a show when they came into the church to, to show their status, their bling-bling, right? And they come in with all their fine clothes and shiny and sparkly clothes. Jesus would address that with the religious leaders and the Pharisees. I don't know if you, I'm an old guy, so I, used, I listen to some R&B groups. Some of you old people might know. Do you guys remember that band Parliament Funkadelic? Come on now. Come on now. All right, I used to listen to them, man. Man, they used to dress like in some crazy, crazy outfits, right? Crazy outfits, right? Can you imagine the, the dress of them coming into, that's kind of the, the, the idea here, coming in this fancy wardrobe. They were all dressed for success. But let me tell you something. Jesus didn't condemn them for their rings and their clothes. He didn't. Hey, brothers, sisters, you want to come in suits, man? You want to come tricked out? You want to color your hair? You want to pierce your nose? You want to wear the suit? Whatever, conservative, you're all welcome here in this place. Jesus never condemned that. What he condemned is how they treated the poor. Because there was a poor man that came in that had meager clothing, and he, maybe he was possibly, he was, he was homeless. He had, he had humble means as we read the scriptures there. There was a, a man that, in fact, that defined, described his clothes as filthy. Most likely smelly. Maybe being homeless, he might even smell like urine. Right? He wasn't of great appearance. 
So I might even judge them as a nuisance. They might even, it might even make us uncomfortable. Maybe somebody will come into the church that, and we deal with a lot of homeless here. Some of you are homeless and you come and how would you respond if a homeless man came down to Newark Church and sat down and smelled like urine? Would, would your first thought say, man, I can't handle smell. I'm going to get up and walk away from him. But that's the very people that Jesus served. He had little means to offer anyone. The rich man, they looked, probably could offer something, but this man had nothing to offer. What is he discriminating here? In some ways, he's discriminating by economic appearance, right? One's rich and one's poor. There's some economic diversity going on in this church if both were coming in and what was happening here. What if Michael, Jir Michael Jordan said, hey man, I'm gonna come to your house today. What would you do? Some of you might like, man, I gotta hook up the meal, I gotta clean my house, I gotta make it shiny because Michael Jordan's coming into your house. But what if some homeless dude said, hey, can I come over to your house today? Oh, I don't know about that. See the mindset that we have just in that thinking? discriminatory thinking what was happening here the church was treating the wealthy over the poor they were giving them the best seats in the house in the synagogue they had minimum seating but when the wealthy came in they were giving them the best seats in the house and when the poor came in they were saying you sit over there or sit on the floor there was that discrimination going on we've seen it in our own culture and society over the years you could only drink of this fountain, and you have to drink of that fountain. You could come into the front door, but you have to go into the back door. You know what part I miss most about our church right now? Is our greeting time. I miss it. We've been uh, affected by masks. <laughs> We've been fearful of all these different things. Man, when we had our greeting times, man, we would just chill with each other. Shake each other's hand and hug each other and pray for each other and talk with each other and be with each other. No discrimination. Loving one another. But this COVID virus has made us fearful. I'm not trying to be foolish. I'm just trying to be real. The early church, if you looked at the history of the early church, when people got sick and there was plagues in the early church, the early church went and helped them and served them because as Romans 12 says, they didn't see their life as their own and they were willing to give up their lives for the gospel, for the gospel. You take that as you will. Write me an email later. <laughs> we have here in the story some economic injustice going on. In fact, according to the Pew Research Center, today the medium household wealth of whites is 13 times higher than that of black households, more than 10 times higher than Hispanic households. Think about how our communities are developed and shaped. They are formed by boundaries, like freeways and developments, by rent, uh, by the rate of rentals and the cost of living. Gentrification is a key to relocating the poor. Rich take over poor neighborhoods to develop to make more money as they redevelop it. Now listen to me. I am not against capitalism. I want you to hear this. I believe in economic enterprise. We're going to do some economic enterprises in this church to provide jobs and things for people, right? I oppose to systems that hinder opportunity for all to grow in economic prosperity. 
that we have access to all. You know, we've been hearing more about Marxism and socialism and communism these days. But let me tell you, the early church, they shared in communism, not communism. And that communism was Jesus. They had everything in common. And because they had everything in common, they shared their resources. Not because they were mandated by law, not because it was a communist thought or a socialist thought or a Marxist thought. It was a love thought. It says, when I saw my brother in need, I loved him enough to help him. That's the heart of God. That has always been the heart of God. That's what we have to do and respond as a church. But if you look at verse 4, Discrimination is a form of judgmental racism. Look at this. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Hmm. Have you shown partiality among the people? He's talking about the church, but let me broaden it a little bit more to give you some examples of this in a more larger scale. Some of you might be familiar with the issue called redlining. All right, redlining. In the 1930s, the population began to grow and housing was an issue. So under the President Roosevelt, he initiated the Federal Housing Administration, the FHA, to regulate home buying for all. But there needed to be a rating system to, to help determine who gets the money to purchase a house to set up, home, so to set up some home loans. So what did they do? They, they set up a thing called uh, the HOLC, which is the Homeowners Loan Corporation. And with that responsibility of that group was to rate... Um, neighborhoods. And so they, they rated them by color. White communities were, were green in color, and you guessed it, color or mixed communities were red. Green was a non-risk loan, and red were risk loans. So those of Caucasian descent were able to purchase housing. And between 1934 and 1962, $120 billion in loans were given out, and only 2% were given to minorities. That was economic discrimination, right? Pete, what does that have to do with the church? What does that have to do with us? Many of those in power who made decisions like this claim to be Christians. Faith without works is dead. That's not loving your neighbor. That's not loving your neighbor. He says that judgment comes from evil thoughts. How we think how we live. I think we all have biases, and I think we all have blind spots. And sometimes we make judgments in light of those things. We're prone to judge by what we see. But let me tell you something. What makes us different from God is that God judges the heart. God judges the heart. Think of King David, right? When the prophet came to anoint King David, and Jesse didn't even have the right to bring his son into the house when he came. And he's trying to figure out who's the, anointing the next king. And he's all the brothers lying out, but David's not there. Samuel says, you have another? Yes, bring, bring him. They went to go get David. And the Lord said this, for the Lord does not see a man as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He called David a man after God's a heart. Man who would later commit adultery, kill a man, do crazy stuff, but yet was a man after God's own heart. You know what? Jesus went after the bad and quote the good. We read that in Matthew 22, 8 through 10. I love the words of Job in 34, 19. 
He is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hand. We are all equal in the eyes of God. In the eyes of God. And so, discrimination is not a part of faith. Number two, guys, the second thing. Love does not dishonor people. Love does not dishonor people. We see that in verses five through seven, right? Guys, I know when you grew up in elementary school, the biggest fear for recess when you went to go play games was to be chosen last. Come on now. Everybody sat against the fence. You had two captains, and they were going to pick teams. Your biggest fear was to be chosen last, right? It was in elementary school that we realized that not everything is fair. Not everything is fair. In elementary, you were just discriminated against because of your ability. Whether a good player or a bad player, we are chosen by what we can produce. But that's not in Jesus' economy. We are saved by grace. By faith is a gift of God, not by what we've done. First of all, we're saved by that's the gift, right? Listen, he chooses us by what we can become. We were chosen. He sees the wealth and the uneducated and the unschooled and the unaccepted. Look at Luke chapter 14 in the parable in 12 to 40. He says, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your neighbors, your rich neighbors, lest also they invite you back and you were paid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Look at the heart of Jesus right? In this passage, James is writing and honoring really the poor because they're rich in faith. Because there is, look at verse five, it says, listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and the heirs of the king, which he promised to choose who love him, but you have dishonored the poor man. I think one of the things about being of maybe more meager means <laughs> is that all we can do is trust God. Some of us live so month to month, we're trusting we can make that electrical bill or that rent bill or maybe that house bill. All that's, God is all the poor have. But what does he do? He's chosen us and he's chosen the fullest things of the world to confound the wise, his scripture says. We often feel like God has shortchanged us because of our financial situation, but he has really given us wealth. If you receive Christ by faith, then walk by faith, you'll see the fruit of faith. And the only thing that pleases God is faith. We are saved by faith, then we must live out our love in faith. And God has established internal riches for us. We may suffer here, but we celebrate in heaven. You know, I don't care how rich or poor you are, we'll all have the same real estate when we die, a grave six feet deep. But those of faith will inherit a mansion. Those outside of faith will inherit eternal darkness. And the greatest riches is salvation to be chosen by God. That's the greatest riches. So if you don't receive property on this side of heaven, be patient. Your eternal inheritance is coming when you go home because he's been preparing it for you. But he says, do not dishonor the poor. Don't exploit them or take advantage or treat them differently. Don't negate their presence or their values. 
In fact, in the ancient culture of that time, people were categorized and judged by their ethnicity and class and, and nationality, religion. They were segregated by Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, rich or poor, Greek or barbarian in that culture. At the cross, Jesus took on the sin of discrimination and segregation to make one people, one church, and one family. He broke down the dividing walls of hostility. But we find, you know, James don't mix words. He talks about the impact of the rich here. The rich often dishonor the poor. Look at verse six. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do not they blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? What James says is, you know, sometimes the rich will use their power to oppress, to bring unjust, to unjustly accuse people. They might have, you know, sometimes there are systems that are oppressive in our society that brings injustice. Jesus didn't do that. It was the religious power of the day that brought Jesus to the court of Pilate. In fact, Pilate was having a conversation with Jesus, said this, do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? He thought he had this power, right? Because of his position and, and, and what he held. Jesus said, man, you don't have the power. He later said, you don't have power. I want to give it up to you. You know, in our, in our uh, we, we incarcerate the most people as a country than any other nation. And I believe there are many that are incarcerated today that are in there unjustly. I think of the story, of Brian Banks' story. You might be familiar with his story. He actually has a movie out about him right now. You can look it up. He's on Netflix if you want to read his story. In 2002, he was a 16-year-old kid playing for Cal Poly High School in Long Beach, California. He was, he was one of the highest recruited high school players. In fact, Pete Carroll, who was actually coach at the time for USC, was trying to recruit him to come play linebacker for USC at the time. When he had this girl, they were, they were friends, and this girl accused him of raping her at school during school time in a place where there was multiple classrooms. The police showed up at his house, arrested him, and took him into custody and when they went to trial, or when, before they went to trial, they, he had a lawyer, but the, never, the lawyer never researched, never did any DNA testing, never did anything. So he said, just take a plea bargain, you're going to get three months on probation. He ended up getting six years in prison. And they charged him with rape, and now he's registered as a sex offender. He did five and a half years in prison and got out. But now he can't get a job because he's labeled a sex offender, he can't go near schools, he can't go near certain things. By the chance this woman reconnects with him on FaceTime, he doesn't know, what are you doing? I'm like, I'll get in trouble if I'm with you. But he sets up a meeting and records her with a friend about what happened, and she confesses that, I know I didn't do it, I know I wrongly charged you. Their family had won $1.5 million against the school district because they, what had happened. And he got a recorder and took it to a lawyer who was at that time a social justice lawyer who was wanting, he was trying to fill the whole movie, trying to get to help, shows him the video. But the guy says, there's nothing I can do with it because she didn't know you were recording it. Even though she made a full confession, she, he did nothing wrong. They finally got enough evidence, went to the DA. They dropped all the charges on him. He's no longer a sex offender. So, and that, that went on until 2012. 
But later on, he went on to trial for the NFL, ended up playing for the Atlanta Falcons in 2013. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of stories like that uh, in in our systems today. Because of power, because of those things, and maybe not enough resources. But it also says that the rich often sometimes blaspheme God, that for some rich, they don't need to trust in God. They just trust in their wealth, that that is their God. Jesus said, a rich man, don't be a fool. (laughs) You store up your house in barns and all these things. Be careful, right? But I find hope in the words of Proverbs 22 too. It says this, the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. (laughs) The Lord is the maker of them all. And lastly, love will defeat discrimination. Love will defeat discrimination. You see that in James 8 and 9. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgression. In John chapter 4, we know this story. Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. And so we know that he goes through Samaria and meets a Samaritan woman at a well. We know that Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were headed by the Jews. And so oftentimes, when Jews would go to Galilee from Judah, they would not go through Samaria. They would go around Samaria, but they would never go through Samaria. Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. Because Samaritans, what were Samaritans? Samaritans were a mixed race. When, when Assyria took, cap, took them captive, when they were bound for 70 years, some of the people stayed and they intermarried with the Gentile and the Jews. And the Gentile Jews were intermixed marriages that became what we know as Samaritans. When Jesus came to the well and talked about living water, she came by an encounter, came to the faith of Jesus and said, give me that living water. And later would go on to tell and tell the people in the town all that he had told or talked about her and who led the town to the Lord. This, this woman preacher was preaching the gospel and came and led that whole town to the Lord. Why am I bringing this story up? For two reasons. We are doing a sermon series called Love Thy Neighbor. And I cannot avoid the issues we're facing today. We must go through Samaria. I can't go around the issue of race. I cannot avoid race. I cannot sweep it under the carpet. It needs to be addressed head on. So we must go through Samaria today. But I think Jesus went to Samaria to bring down racism and discrimination between Jews and Samaritan and ultimately to the Gentiles because he's going to birth a new church. And he knew the feelings of those of mixed race marriages and the impact it would have on the church to come. So this encounter with the Samaritan later would open the doors for Philip who would leave a great revival in Samaria in Acts chapter 8. My kids today are a mixed race. I'm married to a beautiful Caucasian woman, Julie, you know that. And when Julie and I dated, some people had some problems with it. Even within the church, people would look at us. I remember when Julie and I were traveling and we were sitting in an airport and this Asian man across the seat from us who kept staring at us, staring at us. And we noticed that. And then he finally asked us some questions. How do people feel about you being a mixed race? 
her being white, me being Hispanic. And we had this conversation about what that was. And we had problems, and people had problems with who we were in our relationships, even within our families. There was problems. Statistically, in 1967, there were 3% of the population was mixed race marriage. 1980, 10% of the population was mixed racial marriage. 2015, it's 17% mixed marriage, and the staffs are climbing more and more, and we're becoming a more diverse nation. And so James begins to address this issue, right? The way we're going to overcome discrimination is by obeying the royal law, right? That we're to follow. He's talked about the royal law, to love thy neighbor. That's the royal law. To follow the laws of the scriptures. The royal law is also known as the sovereign law because it was given by a kingly leader. And this scripture was always from the beginning, even the beginning in, in, in Leviticus and back, this law to love thy neighbor was getting at the very beginning. Because you can't claim to love God and hate your neighbor. First John 4.20 says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he sees, how can he love God who he has not seen? We find these scriptures in the Old and New Testament. Jesus emphasizes this verse. We find it in Leviticus 19.15 says, You shall do no justice in the judgment. You shall not partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. I believe discrimination, as we close, is found sinful by the law. By the law. The law will reveal the sin of man. The nature of man. Now let me preface it with this. George Winfield, Martin Luther, and Stonewall Jackson, all people of faith. George Winfield was a famous evangelist, owned slaves. Martin Luther, the great reformer, came against the Catholic Church, anti-Semitic, hated the Jews. Stonewall Jackson, famous general of the South, right? All believers. They had biases. They had blind spots. They had merit and faults. I can say that for myself. I'm a believer. I have biases and blind spots. And to love the neighbor, I need to repent of my shortcomings in the areas where I had hated maybe or made wrong judgments or lived contrary to God's way. Today, I want to be careful that I'm not picking up stones in self-righteousness, but I've spoken the truth in love for my every word out of my mouth today will be judged by God. We all stand at the judgment seat of God with the words and the things we've done in our life. And so the law will reveal the nature of man because the law is like a mirror. And the judgment will begin in the household of God first. That's why he's addressing these issues. We are called not to show favoritism, but to love each other favorably. To heal our land, we need to repent of our own shortcomings. And remember the words of the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. So I leave you with these three thoughts as we call, the, the, we call up the panel here this morning. Conclusion, love does not discriminate. Number two, love does not dishonor people. And number three, love will defeat discrimination. So as many of you know, we've been doing this panel discussion, and so I'm going to call up um, 
Danny and Amanda and Jeremy and Jeanette this morning. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about these issues as they're coming. Come on, guys. Hey, we've been doing these panel discussions um, looking at some of the issue of race and faith. And so I bought these two couples up. As we've talked about discrimination and partiality, as you see, they're mixed couples. I did that intentionally as we, it's a reflection of who we are as a family and in this church. Guys, as you heard my message and heard the things that I've shared, first of all, what are some things that just stuck out, that just stuck out, that said this touched or this really brought insight or maybe things that I've gone through, I felt or experienced? What are some things or some thoughts off the top of your head? Um, you know, I, someone else go first. I'm just, I'm trying to put together my thoughts real quick. And so if anybody else wants to say. Um, so something that's stood out, I think for us, um, is just that the idea that you know, as God's children, we should all be able to love each other. Um, so I know for Amanda and I, um, we're an interracial married couple. Some might classify us that way, but for us, we don't see ourselves as that, right? We see ourselves as two children of God that God has brought together. And so um, when, when Amanda and I first got married, we were challenged by Pastor Pete and Julie to think of a mission statement for our marriage. And so our mission statement has been to show the love of God through our relationship. And that's what we felt called to do. And so, you know, the world might see us as, you know, an interracial married couple. But for us, I think it's, um, you know, we're just two children of God that love each other and we're trying to show God's love in the world through our relationship. So I guess in our marriage, I mean, we're an interracial couple, but I'm more interracial than actually we are as a couple since I'm... <laughs> So being, you know, the son of a, a black man and a, and a white woman, you know, I came out with, you know, less melanin. But um, I still, I, I can't think of really a time for us just because I was lighter. So that made a difference. But I've always, I've never looked at it as, in, in, for us, as an issue of race, like with Danny and Amanda. It's, God brought us together. And, you know, I, I think, if anything, having race in our family has actually done more to enrich our family between different culture. You know, when we go to Arizona, when we go to her mom's house, you know, you get a different culture. When you go to my parents' house, you get different culture, you get different things. And I think that that has just, 
been an eye-opening on both sides, a sharing of the cultures. And I think that's where we're missing is that people aren't willing to like, we have these preconceived notions, these presuppositions that we've been taught by the media, by books, by the people we grew up around maybe. Like the first time you see, sometimes the first time you see a black person is on TV if you've never grown up in those neighborhoods. So the first thing you see may be what sticks with you. But then I remember, this is before me and Jeanette dated, um, a friend of mine had a picture of me, him, me and him were hanging out and we met this girl and the girl showed the picture of me, my, is a white friend. And at the time I was spending more time in the sun so I looked darker and I had more hair and it was, <laughs> And I had good hair back then. <laughs> and this is the first time I heard she's the mom, the, the girl told me that the mom said, why didn't you pick the white guy? And then the mom got to know me and went, oh, he's just a guy. So I think that's, that's partially part of it. I, I, we weren't supposed to share the mic. Oh. Yeah, sure. We can share. We can share. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Um, I, when I was the things I would, the things I have thought about with this sermon was that um, I realized I thought about how we really haven't had a lot um, of issues being interracial because I feel like we've we live in a neighborhood that's interracial. I think I might be like the third white person in the whole neighborhood. I don't know how the people feel maybe, but I don't think anybody looks at us as an interracial couple either, just that we're Jeanette and Jeremy. I know when I met Jeremy and I brought him to Arizona, Kingman. It's a very small little town with a lot of white people. <laughs> and um, they said to me, oh, he's nice for a black guy. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. He's nice for black. I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? You know? So, uh, but it's because of the things that they've seen on TV and the media, or well, it's really just TV. Cops. Remember the show Cops? I remember my dad watching that. I'm like, is he racist too? You know, but he wasn't. He just watched that show. Um, and I think that, um, but I think with our church and people we've been around, it's, we're all around. I mean, none of us are, there's not one group of people I could say that are uh, more of in our church and even in my neighborhood and where we, you know, where we live, so. I think the same for us, the same for us because um, our circle of friends are mixed too. In the neighborhood that we live is mixed. Um, I think I've been more discriminated because I'm immigrant than color here, you know. I'm came from Brazil, and our culture is different too. So in Brazil, we are all mixed. You know, I don't see, as I see here, you know, uh, white and black, like, people getting married. So, yeah. As you listen to the message and kind of talk about partiality, do you feel like any time that you've experienced that partiality, like people saw you differently, so they treated you differently? Um, I think, so not so much here in California, but I think we had a unique experience um, a while back where um, my father back in December, who's from Quincy, Illinois, he got sick. And as he was um, in the process of passing away, Amanda and I had the opportunity to go 
visit him um, in those final moments in Quincy, Illinois. And I think for Amanda, it was a um, sort of a cultural shock because all that she's really experienced from the United States is here in San Diego, which is a lot different than Quincy, Illinois. <laughs> and so I think that being in an environment like that, I think was pretty eye-opening. And, you know, my father, he, was, he wasn't really present for the majority of my childhood. And he did grow up in a, sort of a racist environment where he himself was you know, a racist guy in his younger years. And, you know, he had like white pride tattooed on his arms and, and things like that. And then, you know, here we are in his, um, in his uh, hospital room as he's passing away. And as, as visitors are coming in and out, you know, I just noticed the type of crowd that is coming to visit him. You know, I, I observed a, a few swastika tattoos and things like that. And here we are sitting together as uh you know, a mixed couple. And so you can kind of read the room and, um, right, there's a little bit of tension there, but, you know, nobody um, said anything to us, but you can definitely sense that people were, you know, making their own judgments about, you know, what they feel might be right as far as who a person should be married to. And so I think um, that was a, a unique experience for us, right? Yeah, but, but other than that, I'm, you know, f aside from a few looks, there hasn't been much blatant discrimination that, that people have said. But, I mean, you do observe people kind of looking and making judgments and things like that. Guys, thank you for sharing. I know that everybody has a different experience of things. And, I mean, my challenge for us is that in the church, we celebrate our diversity here. We celebrate who we are. And what God's created us to be and how he's designed us. And he's given us his word to, to instruct us on that. And this is not the norm in your church. What you see here is not the norm. Mostly you have the African-American church, the Hispanic church, and the white church. But that's not a reflection of heaven. For Romans said, every tribe, tongue, and nation will worship him. Every ethnic group will gather in heaven. We're just practicing what the scripture says already. You know what I mean? And so I just want us to see that um, in, a, in a world that's so divided right now, the church needs to be united. We are the answer to this confusion and the stuff that's going on and we're seeing on the streets and everything that's happened. We are the answer. If the church learns how to love each other, love one another, the power comes because the love that dwells in us, because God's in us, and that love is manifested through our lives. We celebrate and we see each other's color. We see the creation that God's created us to be. We celebrate those things. We don't worship those things, but we celebrate those things. Um, and so I just wanted to challenge you a little bit this morning as we look at that passage because be careful. We don't want it to sneak into the church. It creeps into the church. We are brothers and sisters. When you, when you look at the scriptures, uh, when you look at the word disciple, you'll see it mentioned by Jesus. You'll see it in the book of Acts. But after you get in the epistles, it doesn't use the word disciple anymore. It actually refers to the body as brothers and sisters, as children. Those are the terminology that we see in the epistles. We are all brothers and sisters in a family that God created in this multi-ethnic diverse family. And I don't want the enemy to have his way with that. It's a beautiful picture of the kingdom. Amen? Thanks, guys, for sharing. I'm going to pray in, and then we're going to have communion. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord, for this morning. 
Um, guys, as the worship team is coming, um, as you guys are going in and off and uh, have a seat, Lord, I just pray your blessings upon uh, our time this morning. Um, Lord, we pray your word has been manifested. We pray that uh, the truth that we have heard would be better in our hearts, that we'd walk in your love and walk in your power and walk in your goodness. So we thank you. We praise you. Lord, we honor you. Uh, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.